With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Okay, it's time to catch up with Adam Crichton, our Washington correspondent. He's the Australian uh, Washington, D.C. correspondent, and he's kind of ours as well. And this will be our last chat for 2023, though we'll be back uh, in the new year, of course. Adam, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Paul. And you'll be heading heading back to uh, the continent, will you? Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, I've got a few weeks in Sydney to enjoy the hot weather and then and then back to, to what still will be freezing cold Washington in about mid-Jan. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the change of weather. Okay, let's um, start with um, uh, the topic that really has uh, been big for us the last few weeks, obviously, but debating it and which side is who coming from, and that is Israel-Gaza. So what we know is the United States supplies the ammo and most of the weapons and the money to support that. They um, vetoed a vote in the UN for a ceasefire. What sort of actor is the mm. US here? What sort of actor in this is the US here? Oh, well, look, I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm very pro-Israel and, uh, you know, been there a number of times. It's a, you know, wonderful democracy, great place to be and certainly holiday. Um, but, but you know, it's it's certainly true. It, it, you know, has enormous influence over US foreign policy, I would say, Israel. And, and I mean, I find it striking since the terrorist attacks, just just how focused the US is on, on you know, what is a small country on on the other side of the world, and, and it generates so much political heat uh, for and against, uh, not just in the US, but 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 in Australia, and I'm sure New Zealand too. Uh, yeah. The protests for and against. I think, you know, I think it's probably fair to say a lot of a lot of these Western countries would regret now bringing so many, uh, you know, so many uh, Muslims into their countries because it's it's somewhat destabilizing. Uh, you know, it's hard to. They must uh, have known that. They must have known that, though. Uh, people were well. Yes, I mean, they did. and of course, people pointed this out at the time. And I, yeah. and I think you know there was that there was that that amusing uh, um, essay. I think it was scratched by by Jake Sullivan in in Foreign Affairs or some prestigious journal that 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 came out just before the terrorist attack, where he said, you know, it's a wonderful achievement that the Middle East is so calm and quiet now. Yeah. And, okay. and and of course, you know, that was very wrong. And indeed, actually, they. I mean, he actually changed it, I think. But, I mean, it just goes to show that everyone was kind of taken by surprise, I suppose, by the terrorist attacks. And it's, it just shows that this, you know, what is the thorniest issue, you know, issue of foreign policy maybe ever is is how to, you know, to bring these two feuding parties together, the Israelis and the Arabs, <clears throat> uh, you know, in what is always going to be such a contested space. I mean, you know, there are good arguments on both sides. I mean, I you know, I don't have a dog in the fight. And, of course, I'm not, you know, I'm not supporting the terrorism i'm just taking a big step back and saying, yeah yeah no a, like many people are you know, this is a do. problem yeah. that has been around for generations and and there's no easy solution and and you know the rage created by the terrorist attack attack quite understandably is is you'd think has put the so-called two-state solution on the back burner for a very long time i you know there's just so much hate uh there it's you know it's, it's just an extraordinary tragedy it's a great tragedy and i think you know i think the leaders of gaza you know could as an economist, I mean, you know, one of the thoughts I first had is, you know, why is this little strip so incredibly poor? Um, you know, if it had have developed 
somehow, and if, if it had grown and prospered, then there'd be far fewer terrorists and there'd be far fewer hate, there'd be far less hate. Yeah. But, of course, that that hasn't happened. You know, they've they've stayed poor for whatever reason, uh, you know, and, and the Arabs will blame the Israelis for that and, and the Israelis will, you know, will blame the Arabs for that. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's you know, it's hard to know, you know, how things could have been better. But, but, but you know, your original question, um, you know, the U.S. is the number one ally of Israel. That's certainly true. I mean, somewhat ironic given the history, but Britain is really the nation that, that that created Israel the most and gave it the biggest push, but they, they don't get anywhere near as involved anymore. It's really a U.S. project. Um, and, of course, there's a huge Jewish population in the U.S., a very successful population in the U.S. Um, you know, I looked up, it's, there's something like seven or eight million Jews in the U.S., so you know, people who identify as, as Jewish, and only uh, three million Arabs. Um, right. Now, if you yeah. go to a country like Britain or France, especially France, um, you know, you'll have far, far more Arabs than you than you will Jews. And, and I assume that's that's the case of the UK as well. And that probably means that that's probably why uh, you get this greater reluctance on the European countries to side so overtly with Israel. You know, one thing which we may have discussed last time, I think, you know, slightly veering away from the topic, but a very interesting foreign policy development is the attitude of Russia to Israel and how that's changed since the terrorist attack. I mean, Putin uh, was 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 very careful to, to propagate very good ties with Israel. Of course, there's a very big Russian population in Israel, something like 20%. Uh, so because, uh, you, know, you could argue that Israel is actually the intellectual product of, of you know Russian Jews if you go way back. Um, and but 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 what you've seen recently, and I think is very worrying for Israel, and I've been kind of shocked at it too, is, is that Russia's really moved into the Arab camp. And I think this is probably not for emotional reasons. I think emotionally there's still a lot of strong ties there because of the reasons I just said. But I think I think Russia needs needs Iran now to help its war effort. And I assume the Russian leadership has, you know, decided that that they're going to, you know, basically back that relationship in the interests of pragmatism and and winning in Ukraine. Um, so I think that's a, you know, that's a very interesting observation. I think to make. Um, isn't there also the fact, and it comes down to the supply of weapons again, the um, substantially the ammo and the shells killing Russian soldiers in Ukraine are American. Um, uh, Russian soldiers in Ukraine. Well, yes, yes, that's right. I mean, it's and the, yeah, and I and mean, and those supplying the weapons for this other thing. So, you know, um, <laughs> no, I think the, the realities of geopolitics of you know what's driving the you know support for the Arabs or well, the you wouldn't be happy it's with not that, right? If you, if, hmm? you, if you're a Russian leadership, knowing that they keep on supplying the weapons that are killing our boys, you're not going to be very happy with that. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's right. And I think that they, I think from Russia's yeah. point of view, they'd realise that. You know, the U.S. position now in the Middle East is very complicated um, because Russia used to be, as I say, quite quite pro-Israel. It was kind of on the side of Israel, and now it's not. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is Israel itself, um, you know, are never uh, has never engaged in sanctions on Russia, and I, I'm not sure it's even condemned Russia's invasion. Um, which yeah. is interesting given it's so, you know, it's so close to the US. But I think that goes to the point that I was just saying. For 20 years, Russia and Israel, you know, were very close under Putin and there's a lot of Russians who live in Israel. That, that origin um, part of it as well, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, um, and also um, it's interesting that the commitment of the US to Israel, you see, and I've banged about away on this a, a, a few times already, that uh, you've got um, very senior 
political people in the US, like Blinken and others, if you look uh, through the hierarchy, who have this dual citizenship. So who who's sticking up for who? And is the American uh, citizenry, um, you know, being played around with, you know? Well, yeah, look, I mean, that goes to my first point about the power of the, you know, of the Israel lo- the Israel lobby here in the US over foreign policy. I don't think anyone would, you know, would deny that. I mean, it, you know, it wields extraordinary influence over US foreign policy. And yes, as you point out, you do have a lot of uh, very senior Jewish people in the US government. And that 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 obviously affects their 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 judgment. They're only human. Um, yeah. And you've got the situation now where the US is, uh, it's not passed. I mean, it may still pass actually today, but this this uh, this aid package for Ukraine and for Israel, uh, which is bound up in this uh, supplemental uh, funding bill, it still hasn't passed, but I think it's something like $14 billion for um, is uh, has been earmarked for Israel. And, of course, that's on top of the $3 billion that the US gives Israel every year. Um and, you know, Israel's a rich country. It's a rich, yeah, sophisticated... Say, why, why are they giving us money like that? Well, look, it's a fair question. I mean, you know, I'm sure I'd be screamed at by, by you know, someone who's, uh, you know, who's passionately in favour of it. Uh, but, but you know, you can just make these objective arguments and say, you know, why is the US giving such a huge a huge amount of money to this to this uh, small, rich country? Um, and, you know, you know, I mean, I've got sympathy for that view. There's there's, there's a lot of historical reasons, obviously, why. Um but uh, certainly it's true to say that the support for Israel is much stronger than the support for Ukraine yeah, in the United sure. States. And, and that's also true amongst amongst ordinary Americans. I think there's a lot of uh, sympathy for Israel. And, you know, there's there's a lot of Christian Zionists too, right, who, who are very devoted to the Bible and, and who quite like the idea of, of the Jewish people living in Israel. I mean, it's quite an emotional thing. Um, and, you know, that, that partly drives foreign policy too. But, you know, the point that I've made in print a couple of times or, you know, subtly because, you know, people will scream at you, I mean, there's probably no other issue that generates, you know, so much hate as this, is that you know, probably the US doesn't really need to help Israel so much. I mean, it, it's an incredibly sophisticated country. It's got, it's very powerful. It's, a nu- it's got, you know, about 200 nuclear warheads. I mean, it can look after itself. It, you know, it's, it's it, it doesn't really need all this extra aid. I don't. I don't think, uh, mm. you know, kind of over and above the three billion that it already gets every year. And remember, its population's eight, you know, something like eight million. So you know, three billion to uh, you know each year is quite a lot of aid. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's quite a lot. Okay, well, as you say, very divisive issue, probably. The yeah, yes, I know. I don't even like talking about it because it's no. just, it's just, you know, I prefer to talk about it. Just, you know, when I'm not being recorded because yeah, no, it's no, one of those issues that you can quickly get cancelled. You know, one word in the wrong spot and that's it, you're gone. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, going through a minefield. All yeah. right, um, let's uh, talk about Hunter Biden. So he, he was subpoenaed much to Much safer a, topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, much safer. Uh, he was subpoenaed to a um, uh, a behind-closed-doors hearing um, yeah. and uh, he decided that he would ignore that and sort of went to the court of public opinion and did a sort of like a stand-up in a prominent place. Was it in front of the White House or the Capitol? Yes, yeah, look, it was It was just outside the Senate. So, you know, he made oh, the effort yeah. to go to Capitol Hill, um, and there were, I mean, obviously uh, tipped off all the press. They were waiting. There was a lectern there, and uh, he arrived with his lawyer, and, and uh, yeah, he gave his little six-minute uh, six talk. And, you know, it, it was interesting because, you know, the, the, he's probably the, of all the people who are in the media spotlight, you never hear his voice, like ever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah because yeah. because and it's actually the first time I heard him speak. Right, and it's quite interesting. And so it's kind of interesting to hear his voice for the first time for me. 
And, um, yeah, it was nothing, you know, nothing exciting. But, uh, you know, I mean, he said what, what you'd expect him to say, uh, that, you know, his father's innocent, his father didn't know anything about the business. You know, he said he did a lot of silly things. I mean, the one the one interesting takeaway from it, which Republicans seized on, was his use of the word financially. So he said twice through that six minutes that his father was not financially involved in the business. So that's not using and, a word specifically to to say what? Well, that raises the question of, Okay, but was he involved otherwise? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah right. Because I mean, maybe he wasn't financially involved. But otherwise, you say at all, involved. in any way, at all, in any well, way. Well, I know he could have said that, and you know, it's interesting. But let's face it. I mean, th- those remarks were not written by him; they were written by his lawyer, um, uh, who was standing by his side. He's a very good lawyer, very very high paid lawyer in Washington D.C. Abby Lowell, and um, and it was interesting that that the financially. You know, bit was in there, so they're trying to. You know, they, I mean, you'd suspect that they're trying to cover themselves in some way, and and there is some involvement. But but the takeaway I think is that is that he's going to have to give testimony. I mean, he may have won that, you know, won the day a bit, you know, won the media cycle with that sort of, you know, okay, I'm here, you know, I'm only going to answer questions publicly. Uh, but uh, technically, if if the Congress said that they want to. Uh, speak to him privately. That's that's the way it's got to be. And and they've already, you know, the House Republicans have already said that they're going to recommend contempt of Congress charges to the Justice Department. Um, and this won't happen until next year. But it's, I mean, it's going to be hard for the Justice Department not to press charges uh, because I mean they've charged other people for not turning up just recently, Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro and. And, and, you know, President Biden himself last year said that, you know, people that don't turn up should be prosecuted. So so I think the Justice Department obviously won't want to charge him because, you know, it's the Biden Justice Department. But I, I think that they're probably going to have to. Yeah, and he sort of sounded, that voice thing's interesting. I thought that too, hearing his voice. He sort of sounded like a younger version of Joe. Yes, yes. Not yeah, but I kind of feel sorry for a bit. I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I wonder if there's anyone in history who's had... <laughs> I mean, and I'm not exaggerating. In, in you know, world history, who's had you know such photos of themselves strewn all over? Well, he the didn't media need to take constantly. them. He took them. No, over well, himself. I know, I know. My God, goal. I know. I mean, how how crazy? But he I mean, might quite still... like that, though. You never know. But, <laughs> yeah, maybe he does like Get it. A little thrill know. from it. Um, so anyway, so look, so that's going to be interesting next year as to you know when he comes back, and I think it's a when, not an if. Um, you know, I think there'll be an arrangement whereby he comes back, and and you know the the Trump children, uh, the adult Trump children, they you know they were deposed and they they went and you know it sat for hours and they didn't yeah. grandstand or complain. You know they could have done something similar and said I'm not doing it, I'm only doing it publicly, blah blah blah. But but they didn't, um, and and certainly they've been making those those points, um, uh, Don Jr. and Eric just just recently, and and. and and it's true they did. So, so I think I think when people think about it, I think they'll think it's reasonable that Hunter does, you know, does take the questions privately. You can imagine, you know, the Trump sons. You can imagine what people would be saying if if, if, if oh, it was yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, the, the media is, you know, by and large, very sympathetic to Hunter. Um, yeah. I mean, that's something that you know I'm sure we've touched on this a lot of time before, but just. You know, being here in the U.S. media ecosystem, it's just striking all the time. The just the knee-jerk, instinctive uh, defense of the Biden administration, and, even and though there's hookers, there's drugs, there's... yeah, 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 it's all forgiven. I mean, you know, as you say, imagine if it was, you know, Don Jr. I mean, that, yeah, you know, the moralizing would never end. You suddenly it'd be a great moral issue, you know. But of course, 
uh, when it's the other side, when it's their own, that's that's not the case. Staying staying with the Bidens and this impeachment inquiry, and um, now th- th- this is an in- inquiry into whether to have an impeachment inquiry. Have I got that right? Uh, no, no, it's an inquiry as to whether to vote for impeachment. So oh, yeah, it's yeah, um, yeah. so it's kind of one step closer. Uh, yes, that's been voted upon. We, Yesterday, two hundred. It was on strict party lines. The House of Reps. I think it was two hundred and twenty-one to two hundred and twelve. So, I mean, you know, they've been talking about this for months. Kevin McCarthy, when he was Speaker, first flagged this impeachment inquiry, and and um, I think some people were under the impression that 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 it was already up and running, but actually, but but technically, it wasn't. And and they've now voted on it. And and I think what what's um what's interesting about it is when it was first canvassed a few months ago by McCarthy. There were about five or six Republicans who said they wouldn't vote for it um, for reasons ranging from there's not enough evidence to it's 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 you know bad for my district because I'm in a in a marginal a district I don't want to be associated with this but they all voted for it every single one voted for it so um, so there's so there's clearly at least if you just look at the Republican caucus there's there's a more belief you'd have to say just objectively that something you know. That, that there's bad stuff going on here with the Bidens. Um, so the Democrats keep saying, you know, until they're blue in the face that, you know, there's there's nothing wrong and, and you know, you can't actually find any uh, direct evidence. And, and you know, I, I have some sympathy for that. I mean, I think, I, you know, I think ethically what's gone on is, is, you know, is disgusting. And a point I made in a piece I wrote yesterday was, you know, can you imagine in the 60s or 70s if the adult children of Lyndon Johnson or Richard Nixon uh, were accepting money no. from from foreign oligarchs through shell companies. <laughs> yeah. It's just like it's pretty funny, right? Even the thought of that is just it's so absurd. And that it's but but the point I was trying to make in my piece was to just the moral decay of 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 governance in the United States, whereas that is now acceptable. Okay, it might not be illegal. We're going to find out, but but it's acceptable. Um, I mean, isn't that you mean to operate pay for play in your face? Yeah, yeah, and and that's obviously what it is. I mean, no one, no one on the Democrat side has even said that that they were providing any services. I mean, you I know, mean, this, you know, this money, the the twenty four million, uh, which which Republicans have tracked down so far, that's gone through these shell companies. Much of it's ended up in in even you know the bank accounts of of you know younger Biden family members and you know people who don't even work. So so I mean, clearly, well, that's the way you launder it out, right? Yeah, so it is a system of you know of, of enriching the family, um, and obviously it wouldn't be so successful if the you know if the father wasn't the vice president or the president. Um, so, but but yeah, but whether it rises to a crime, and of course the yeah you know, the constitutional test for impeachment is a high crime or misdemeanor or treason, um, and you know that that remains to be seen. I mean, they really I think I think the one that they're going to try to get him on is bribery, but it's going to be very hard without a paper trail. Next year is going to be taken up with you know the, with uh, Donald Trump's legal woes and also you know the impeachment woes of the president and also the other the other uh, the other indictments against Hunter Biden too. I mean, so you know, bottom line, there's not going to be much policy discussion. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's going to be it's going to be who's you know who's more morally corrupt. <laughs> that's going to be the gosh. The uh, that's a this is a crazy situation, isn't it? This is unprecedented, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, so the candidates is. to I mean, be in these positions. Yeah, oh, it certainly is unprecedented. I mean, I mean, it's uh, yeah, the Trump situation is more extraordinary because you've got. Yeah, I mean, I 
I almost lose count the number of, of different trials that are going to be taking place next year. But, you know, they start in March. You know, one starts in March, one starts in August, uh, you know, and they could take many, many days and, and in some cases requires attendance. Um, so, you know, this is going to be peak, you know, peak campaigning time. Um, and at the same time, you're going to have Hunter Biden also going to court for his various tax and gun charges. And then this yeah. impeachment inquiry, subpoenaing people left, right and centre. Uh, so yeah, look, it's, you know, it's not going to be a very edifying year. Well, thanks for your contributions over the no, time. No, that's fine, Paul. Uh, Adam, no, no, I enjoy been, the chat. Yeah, no, it's been really good. No, and we're looking forward to catching up with you again in 2024. Okay. Yeah. I look forward to it. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So connect with us today.